Romans chapter 1. Let me get there. We're going to start in, uh, I think we'll start in verse 13. Romans chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here we are, starting out 2017. And we have 365 days laid out before us. And what are you going to do with them? How are you going to live those days? It's another year that God's given us. I mean, we could set a few goals. Someone said, don't make resolutions, you break them. Just make some aspirations. <laughs> Something you aspire to do, you know. Lose 10 pounds, you know. That's mine, anyway. Maybe I need to lose more than that. But just setting some goals and some priorities in your life. How about, <clears throat> think about this. Giving out one track every day. Not ten tracks. One. I would love to do that. I've never done it. I may have given out a lot on a Saturday, but I don't think I've given out one a day. Maybe it adds up to 365 at the end of the year. I don't know. But just think about giving out a track. One track every day. You would have to confront somebody and hand it to them and say, Would you read this when you get a chance? God loves you. Think about it. Just one. Think about how many tracks you gave out this year. And then think about giving out one every day, 365 tracks. How about reading through your Bible in a year? There's a Bible reading schedule back there. Go pick it up. Four chapters a day. One hour. Get up earlier. Stay up later. Read through your Bible in one year. Imagine all that you're going to glean from the Scriptures as God speaks to your heart in that quiet time with Him. How about winning one soul to Jesus Christ? Just one. I'd like to win one a day. Just one soul. Imagine if everybody in here just won one soul. We'd have to put some more chairs out, wouldn't we? Just one. I'm not saying it'll happen. Some people have planted seeds and others have you know, reaped the harvest of that. But if, we're just, if we just set that as a goal, aspire to do that, I want to reach a soul this year for Jesus Christ. And then when I reach him, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to disciple them. That's, that's the church's mandate, you know. That's our commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this whole year will be focused, this whole year is going to be focused on the Lord and his power and his truth that he's mighty to save. This year is focused on all the different aspects of the gospel and the preacher of the gospel and eternal life and sanctification. One happens in a moment, the other takes a lifetime. Sanctification is a process. Every day, daily, walking with God. We're going to talk about that. This month in particular is focused on the power of God. You know, we often think of His creation power like Eric had mentioned. And rightly so. I mean, he spoke the worlds into existence. What kind of power is that? Blows my mind. I can't wrap my mind around that. But we diminish his saving power. My friend, he took us from headed to hell to now headed to heaven. That's power. That's power. But we don't think of it the same way. That's the power of the gospel. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Just a reminder. Look, we're going to look at some scriptures today, so just be ready to turn to some scriptures. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's not one word in this Bible about how man can save himself. I mean, we could do a whole lot. We could try to keep the law if you want to and try to be the most holy person on your block in your estate. 
but it's not going to get you to heaven. Because you were born away from God. You were born with a sin nature. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. In fact, God says our righteousness is as? That's right. All the good that you do is filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. If you're trying to get to heaven by how good you are, but according to His mercy, thank God for the mercy of God, that He didn't give us what we deserved. There's not a word in this Bible about how man can save himself. He tries, but God doesn't need our help. Not one bit of our help. Somebody said that. God does not need our help. I think it was Dina. God doesn't need our help. But it should be a great comfort that we know that He has that power. That should be a comfort to us that He is mighty to save. God has unlimited power. He has boundless love and immeasurable grace and all the mercy that we need. God lacks nothing. He needs nothing. Does He want some things? Yes. He wants you and I to walk close to Him. But He doesn't need anything. Look, we have family issues. Anybody in here got family issues? Don't raise your hand. Because probably, yeah. I was going to raise one for you, Robert. <laughs> With me too. We all have family issues, don't we? What would we do if we didn't have God to go to? And God to trust in? I hope you are. How about health issues? Anybody got a health issue? Hmm. Employment issues. Financial issues. Where do we turn? The only answer is believing or trusting in the power of God. That's the bottom line. That only God can save. That only God can restore families. That only God can transform a life. That only God renews the mind through His Word and the Holy Spirit. Only God can make a new creature out of an old one. I used to be that, and now I'm this. How? God did it. There are various things we could say have power or are powerful. Like an atom bomb. Pretty powerful, isn't it? And then there's people that have power. Like billionaires. Uh oh. <laughs> he's got power. Money. But now he's a president. He's got more power. Adam bombs are powerful. And this man has power at his fingertips. I guess any rulers or presidents. But these things have power, but none of them have the power of God. None of them can save you. Only God can save. Only God has saving power. It's only the Gospel of Jesus Christ that can save a person's soul from the lake of fire. And if you're here this morning and you don't know, you can't remember a time when you got saved. When that took place, when you were born again, then my friend, that's where you're headed. And that bothers me. It ought to bother you. Because I'm not going there. But I know God loves you. And I'm commanded to, to love you like God loves you because He's loving you through us. I don't want to see you go to hell. But that's where you're headed. And that's the truth. The Gospel still saves. Your loved ones can be saved. The ones that you pray for can be saved. But you have to make some hard choices. You have to make some hard decisions which really aren't that hard. I'm going to witness to them. I'm really going to tell them. I'm really going to try to get them to, to come to church. I'm really going to try to turn them around to at least come face to face with a holy God. Or am I going to shrink back and am I going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'd rather be ashamed now than possibly they hear the gospel and get saved than to be ashamed up there when I'm standing before them. I'll tell you why people don't get saved. A lot of us haven't made that hard choice to just even witness to our own family. Or we've given up. Think about all that could happen this year. You know, I flipped the computer open this morning. I do like the news. Was it 40 people died in some nightclub? And no matter what you think about nightclubs, nothing good happens there. But there's no reason for 40 people to be slaughtered and another 70 some injured. By some quack with a 
rifle or whatever. I didn't even read it all. It's become too familiar to us. Because the world isn't getting any better. And that's the truth. Does truth matter? For me it does. Turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, in verse 1, the Bible says, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Do you see what it says there? Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Why? Because people are sinners and they're lost in their transgressions. And they need somebody to preach the Word. Somebody with a burden to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at 50, 60, 70 preachers out there. I'm not saying pastors, I'm saying preachers. The church was commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Cry aloud. And tell them. It's the only way they're going to know. Acts 20.27 tells us that Paul said, I have, I have shunned, not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God unto you. My hands are clean. There's no blood on my hands. I've told you everything that you needed to hear. Richard Baxter was the Reformed preacher of some 400 years ago. He said this, I preach as never sure to preach again. I don't know when I'm going to get another chance. And frankly, I don't know when I'm going to get another chance to tell someone in here, you need to be saved. I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm not God. I don't know. But he also said, I preach as a dying man to dying men. Isn't that true? I don't know when my time is going to be up. And I'm preaching to dying people. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the Gospel. I don't know. Is there another way to wield such power that we have of the Gospel? Is there another way we should feel? Is this not serious business? Just one soul Think about it. You would like to be saved. Think about that one soul you would like to see be saved. Shouldn't that be a passion and a concern on your heart? Should we relax and forget what God has said? Turn back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Forget about the warnings. God didn't really mean it. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. When you go out, they make you feel like this Bible is just a bunch of gobbledygook, don't they? The Word of God isn't real. They deny it. They mock it. They scorn it. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. An atheist has to deny God. I don't believe there's a God, but he knows there's one. You get way down in there, Jesus has lighted up every man that comes into this world. They know there's a God. They just have to say, I'm not going to acknowledge there's a God, so I don't have to be accountable unto God. But you are. And the invisible things in verse 20 of Him from creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I've never seen God. I've never seen my own soul. In fact, I've never even seen my own brain. I hope I have one, but I've never seen it. I've never seen an atom, unless they show it to me on TV or on a computer or something. I've never seen hell and I've never seen heaven. But I know they're there. All I'd have to do is look up at the sky at night 
Or just look out that window and look at His creation. What I can see tells me there's some things I can't see. But the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power. Eternal power. And God is so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God. Do you see that? When they knew God. You'll not mock God. The atheists can try. But God knows that they know down in their heart. They glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. And let me just tell you. The farther you get away from God, the darker it gets. So if you want to find yourself in sin, Christians find themselves in sin, and they move farther and farther away, it's getting darker and darker and darker, and I don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, I don't feel convinced, and my conscience is weak and defiled, but you start turning around back to God again, and all of a sudden the light comes in. And the mercy of God. But you want to get away from God, you can get away, but it'll just get darker and darker and darker. And let's not pretend that everything's going to be okay, because it's not. And I just I know it burdens you, it burdens me. You know, the greatest, most wonderful power in this world is the power of the gospel. And what it can do, just look around at the people that it's touched. And the concern somebody had for your soul. power of God to save. The Lord accomplished what no one else could. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? How does God display His power? Well, first we see it in His sovereignty. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read these verses to you. Much of it is just going to have to sink in. <clears throat> I frankly don't have time to even try to touch uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And the mounds of truth in there, but Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, let me just have you key on on two words, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him. Verse 3, blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Believers are chosen in Christ. Mr. Calvin. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. That's a mouthful. But that is all one sentence. One thought. You can't stop after each one is a colon or a semicolon. And you just got to keep reading because that's the whole thought. And it's all about that God is the author of salvation. This is His plan. He didn't check with anybody. He didn't ask anybody what He should do. He just did it. This is His plan. And when He chose you, He didn't chose you against your free will. He chose you because He knew what decision you would make. So Calvin needs to get out because he's a heretic when it comes to this idea of being chosen. I am predestinated. I'm predestinated to the adoption that Christ adopted me into His family. I'm predestinated to an inheritance, but I'm not predestinated to heaven or hell. There's such a thing as free will. But as far as the plan of salvation, it's all God's plan. God thought it all up. God predetermined believers would come to Christ. And in Him, we are protected. Colossians 3 tells us that. Our lives are in Christ, which is in God. We're protected. 
His sovereignty. The Lord planned our redemption with no help from us. What is our part? Believe. Trust. Faith. God takes the initiative. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. A lot of times you hear people say, well, I'll come to the Lord some other time or I'll I'll listen another time. No, you won't. Not unless God opens your heart and draws you. you. You don't seek God. None of us have sought God. We may think we have. God sought you and drew you to Himself. Romans chapter 3 tells us that. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. God's the one that opens our heart. God's the one that draws us. Now we can resist it, but He takes the initiative. This is God's plan. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And in verse 37, Jesus said, John 6.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father, see, initiates. Verse 44 No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up that last day. Thank God for that. But God's the one that draws. And man's the one that says no. Rejects or receives. And gets a little more light. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. This is God's plan. First Peter chapter one and verse eighteen. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. See, God already had this thing figured out. God already knew what was going to happen. And God already provided a lamb. God already provided His Son. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, didn't they? And then they went looking for God, didn't they? No, they didn't. (laughs) What did Adam and Eve do when they rebelled against God? They hid themselves. Who came looking for them? God did. I'm telling you, God's the one. You're saved here today because God drew you. Opened your heart. Had somebody give you a track or tell you. Something happened and you went, I I never heard that before. But it was God that does the drawing. We don't come to God whenever we want. God came looking for them. And then when they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves by their own good works... Was that good enough for God? No. He had to kill a couple innocent lambs. Anytime you cut the skin off an animal, there's going to be some bloodshed. And it was a picture of Jesus Christ. But God's the one. It was God's plan for Jesus Christ to shed His blood on the cross. It was God's plan for that to happen. The cross was the will of God for Jesus. There's only one way to be saved. And it's by the sovereignty of God. We see it in His ability. Mark 10, 27. It talks about the rich man that was one of the... thought he had kept all the commandments. And Jesus said, well, here, do this one thing then. You're almost there. He said, sell all your goods and follow Me. And He went away sad because He had a lot of goods and a lot of things that He... he possessions that He cared about more than following Jesus Christ. And then the disciples said... Well, who then can be saved? If this man can't, who then can be? You know, it's easier to pass a camel through the eye of a needle. Jesus said, with men, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, God has the ability to save to the uttermost. He can pluck the farthest one out of the gutter and save them. Because God's able to do that. God has that power. Acts 4.12 says, There is none other name under heaven 
given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. He is able. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We see it in His sovereignty, but we also see it in His ability. He is the only one who has the ability to save. In John chapter 12, and in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. This is why I'm here. This is why the little baby was born in the manger. This was His hour. This is why Jesus came. Because He's the only one that could die in our place. That's why, no matter what some preacher in America says about the virgin birth, and doesn't put emphasis on it anymore, if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, He couldn't save us either. He had to be born of a virgin. He had no sin nature. There was two thieves that died on a cross. Could they save us? Could they save themselves? (laughs) No. Only Jesus could save. Because of the virgin birth. He died in our place. Those thieves died because they were sinners. One got saved. By trusting in himself? No, by trusting in the one who was able to save him. The one dying on that cross. Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 25. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore He is able. I'm just trying to push across the fact that you want to see God's power. It's in His sovereignty and it's in His ability to save. He's the only one that is able to do that. He is the only one that has the power to do that. So if you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything else, but Jesus Christ, according to the truth, according to the Scriptures, you're trusting in the wrong thing. Because only Jesus can save. He was sinless. Verse 26 says, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He became sin on the cross, but it wasn't his sin. Whose sin was it? It was our sin. That we, You know, that's a pretty good deal. He takes my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. Even Donald Trump can't swing that deal. Only God could do that. He's the only one able to give you absolute righteousness and take your sin and die for us. What a Savior. He's the only high priest we need to look to. And then we see it in His truth. Turn to Titus chapter 1. We see it in His truth. Just turn back a book. Well, you'll, you'll hit Philemon, but Titus chapter 1. We see it in His truth. This power. It's amazing how powerful truth is. Pure, unadulterated truth. But Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And by the way, there's another verse that says that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's God. Because verse 3 said, to the commandment of God our Savior, and then it tells us that the Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4. But I want you to look at in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. 
God doesn't choose not to lie. He can't. He can't lie. Just like there was a time when we couldn't tell the truth. So all we did was lie. But God can't lie. It's not in Him. It's not part of His nature. God cannot lie. That is immense power. Because when He speaks, He speaks absolute truth. What do you do? What are you going to do? Fight against the truth? That same truth is how you got the freedom that you have now to be saved. That truth. You know how I know that? John chapter 8. Look at John chapter 8. Jesus Christ came into the world by grace and truth. Look in John chapter 8. This is a verse that we use in the 12 weeks to freedom. In John chapter 8. Jesus is preaching, and in verse 30, as He spake these words, many believed on Him. They had to do nothing but believe. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That simple, pure truth gives freedom to anyone who will follow it and believe it. Wow! That's power. There's no false way in Him. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. God's power is... The, God's truth has the power to make men free. Imagine being face to face with that truth every day. You are. Every time you read your Bible. Every time you read your Bible, you're looking at the truth. And that's what gives you... When you follow it, you get freedom. Because you're now walking with God. That's refreshing in a sin-cursed world, by the way. It's tough going out and living like a Christian in the world nowadays. It's nice to just get away with your Bible there and let the truth speak to your heart and help you go out that day and be a Christian for Jesus Christ. You know, when we had our Thanksgiving dinner, we had some people over, and somebody said there was this, uh, maybe that bottle of some kind of drink they had, I forget. And it was like like slur or one of those things, you know. And I just poured it in the glass. I was, there wasn't much in it, you know. I poured it out and went and like one or two people got some in their glass. I went, oh, well, that's gone. And uh, he said, you didn't pour that out straight, did you? I said, yeah. He said, that's, you're supposed to water that down. <laughs> you're supposed to put water in that and everybody could have got a little bit of it. Well, I didn't know that. But it's interesting when you want to water something down, what do you use? Water. Why? Now you got to go to the next part of that equation. Why? Because water is absolutely the base. It's pure. Odorless, tasteless. So if you're going to water something down, if you're going to water some juice down, you're not going to use another juice. You're going to use water. Why am I saying that? Because water is the pure base. Guess what's called the water of God? The Bible. And every time we read it, it washes us clean. It's the truth. It's like a scouring pad going down into your heart. And that's why sometimes you go, ooh, that hurt. Or even when someone's preaching, does he have to talk like that? Does he have to say that? Is there something the matter with him? Is he angry? What's the matter with him? No. Preacher's not angry. He's just speaking the truth and it kind of, you know, kind of got you. You can't water down water, can you? So when you come to your Bible, leave it alone. Don't criticize it. Don't critique it. Come to it and submit yourself to it and say, that's the Word of God. I want to study it to show myself approved unto God. It's pure. It's clean. And it's undefiled like its Savior. It's faith. It's believing what God has said that gives the power to the Gospel. What do I mean? The Gospel is laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 though. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, if you're taking notes, the Gospel's there. That Jesus died, He was buried, and that He rose again. That's as simple as it is. That's the Gospel. That's what we preach. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you could trust that Gospel to save you if you believe in it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. 
For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You see, this whole month is about the power of God. Now, believers know that the gospel has power, but to them who do not believe, it is foolishness. doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense to you. Until what? Until the light went on. Until God drew you and opened up your heart again. Until faith took hold. And then you believed it. Then all of a sudden, what didn't make sense, made sense. Do you see? God is the author and finisher of our faith. Verse 21 says, chapter 1 verse 21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Chapter 2 verse 5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So if you're saved here today, it's not because of what some man told you. It's what some man or woman told you about what God said. That's where your faith is in. The truth. And faith unlocked the gospel. The gospel's there for everyone in the world. But they're not saved. So faith unlocks the gospel. The world thinks they're smarter than God. And so did we. But when they realize they're going to, they made a mistake, it's going to be too late. It should be up to us at least to tell them. It's faith that unlocks the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, To everyone that believeth. If that's not there, the gospel has no power. To everyone that believeth. If you had a rich benefactor like Leo, and he, he took a million of his euros and he deposited it in a bank, he lodged it in your account, it's there. Leo says it's there. He told you it's there. But you never go down and it will withdraw. What good is it? Leo tells me that. I'm going down and make a withdrawal. But God has told that to a sin-cursed world and they don't make a withdrawal. But we're supposed to tell them. At least let them know that God in the riches, riches of His grace has offered His Son as a sacrifice for sin. If they don't want to go down and, un, and unlock it by faith and, and take, out the, uh, take out the euros, so to speak, that, that's on them. But it's for us to tell them. Jesus has already paid the sin debt of the world. It's already done. No one can say they're out of reach. No one. Because as I look around, and if I had a mirror, I'd say, boy, God can save anybody. He had already paid the sin debt of the world. 1 John 2.2 says, and He is the propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means the sacrifice. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Past, present, and future. That's a truth that cannot be changed by John Calvin or anyone else. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for those who would get saved. It was not a limited atonement. He paid the price for everyone. So that no one could say, you didn't do it for me. I can't be saved. You didn't die on the cross for me. No one's going to have an excuse. The Bible says, whosoever will. Come and drink of the water of life freely. If God is so powerful, just a couple more things here. If God's so powerful and the gospel is so powerful, then it does beg the question. God has done his part. Why aren't more people getting saved? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Free will. One reason is free will. Romans 1.16, to everyone that believeth. People could just choose not to believe. But that's not why we go out and tell people. We go out and tell them because we're commanded to go out and tell them. If they don't believe, that's on them. They have free will. Matthew 22.37, Jesus poured his heart out over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen 
gathereth her chicken under her wings. And ye would not. You resisted it. I wanted to gather you together and bring the kingdom in. But ye would not. Free will. That's not a light doctrine. Understand that man has a free will. He may be bent in sin and depraved in sin, but he still has responsibility before God to believe. Noah preached for a hundred years. How many went on the ark? Eight. Why? Because man has a free will. And they chose to go their own way. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 39 says, Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, Jesus said. Look at the next verse. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Did they know that they could have life if they came to Him? Yes. Did they come to Him? No. Free will. That's why people aren't getting saved. They just choose to go the broad way. Amen? The Bible tells us that man has a free will. Adam did. Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 35. 635, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. That's their choice. That's their free will. They don't have to believe. That's why people don't get saved. They choose not to. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God is not in all of his thoughts. As much as it hurts, God is not to blame. It's not God's fault people don't get saved. But each one of us has to look in the mirror and say, has some people maybe perished because I have been ashamed of the gospel? The very power of God? And I've said, no, I'm not giving a track out. I am not going to be ashamed. Or I'm not going to be shamed. In fact, I think I'm going to preach on shame and ashamed. Because that's why people aren't getting saved too. It's because there's a lack of preachers. Matthew tells us, 7 tells us there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. But people choose to go either the narrow way, which is a small little way. It presses in. It's a narrow gate. Only Jesus can save. You have to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone, or I'm going to do it my way. My religion, my baptism, my, my way, I'll just, I'll just, whatever I think is going to happen. That's a choice. Most people choose the broad way. Their way. Millions don't know any better. That's the way they were taught and that's the way they grew up. What are we to do with that? We're to tell them. The second reason, the last reason is there's a lack of preachers. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed. They're not hearing the Gospel. Hundreds, thousands, yea, millions of people on this globe are not hearing the Gospel. I think it bothered Spurgeon one time when they asked him, what about the people in, in, in the middle of South America or Africa or up in the, who knows, the North Pole? They've never heard before. And Spurgeon said, Instead of worrying about those who have never heard, why don't you go tell them? Exactly. Because even the person that's never heard has something to do. They can look up and see the creation. And if they believe in their heart that there must be something more, the moment they do that, God will send somebody. God will send them a little more light. They're not going to blame God. I never heard. Well, if there was any inclination that you wanted to know a little more, God would have sent a missionary there. God would have sent somebody. But there's a lack of preachers. And millions have never heard a clear presentation of the Gospel. The church is told to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. So I have to ask you, as I have to ask myself, what are you busy doing? What's consuming your time? Turn to John chapter 5. Oh, you're in John 6, John chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 25. 
actually verse 24. Just a couple more scriptures. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is right that time passed from death unto life. How does that happen? By them hearing the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing, but many people are not hearing. Romans 10, 14. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And in verse 14, there's a lack of preachers. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not what? Heard. How shall they hear without a preacher? There's just no way. It can't happen. They have to hear. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So it's not going to happen any other way. They've got to hear the Gospel. What was that movie we just saw? The End of the Spear? About uh, Elliot. And they went down there to the Wadani in Ecuador. And they were the first ones in on these people. These people just speared each other to death. And uh, this is back in the 50s. What was his name now? Not Elizabeth Elliot was the wife. Jim Elliot. Yeah, and four others, by the way. All we over here about is Elliot, but there was four others. And uh, they finally figured out a way uh, to make contact with them. These people, you know, really never, no, no civilization whatsoever uh, had they seen. But they, they, they flew the plane. He had a plane. And he would fly the plane in a real tight circle. And he would lower this this basket down on a, on a rope. And he found that the basket wouldn't do this. Eventually, if they got the right curve, the basket would just be stationary. And he put in gifts for them. And they, they put in a bird. And they went back and forth. And finally, they were making contact. And finally, Jim Elliott was able to land his plane on what they called Palm Beach. And all five of those missionaries, I think the other ones may have came in a boat, but uh, all five missionaries were there on the beach. And... Uh, when they finally made contact with the Wadanis, uh, the Wadanis speared them. Their first contact was okay, but eventually all those missionaries lost their lives. But then the Wadanis started to get saved. They finally got saved. It was the women that came back and uh, talked to these people. But somebody had to go. And they lost their lives, physically lost their lives there to get the gospel to these people. Why? Because what they believed in the afterlife, was that you have to jump the great boa. Now, that might seem silly to us. But to them, that's the afterlife. As long as that person, they, if they were speared, and then they, they jumped the great boa, they would be okay. Well, the great boa to them was God. But they had to learn that God had a son. And they started to talk to them. And these people got saved. The same one that speared Jim Elliot and sent him into eternity was one of the ones first ones to get saved. And uh, the son, before Jim Elliot took off on that mission, his son asked him, Dad, why do you have to go? Or why do you have to, you know, why? What's going to happen if, if, they, if they come to you? Make sure you use the gun. They had a gun. They only shot in the air. They never shot. He said, son, I can't kill the Wadani. They're not ready for heaven yet. So, the missionaries died. But that blood was only the beginning of getting the gospel there. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's just an amazing story that we haven't really touched the, the, the hem of the garment yet of just going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. It's our commission. It's our command. One more scripture, Isaiah 59. This is our commission. It's our command to take the power of God to a lost world. Isaiah 59. In verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that he will not hear. 
You see, God's still able to hear and God's still able to save. His arm is not shortened. God has power. That power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that arm is still reaching out, trying to see people saved even today. In fact, <clears throat> He is mighty to save. He's just looking for some preachers. No matter the free will of man, He's looking for some people to go into this world and tell them how they can be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Every head bowed, please, and every eye closed. Why don't you just pray and ask God what He'd have you do this year. Second Peter 3.9 says, tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, I mean, you've heard it a million times, but you've just never received them. You've never accepted it. You've never received Him as your Savior. God wants to save you. And God is able to save you. God has done all that's necessary. But one thing is, you have to believe. You've got to trust Him. By faith, trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, for your sins. I hope there's somebody willing to take God at His Word today and simply ask Him to save you. Heavenly Father, I'll just let it go out and uh, fall on wherever that heart is, Lord, that may not be saved. And for Christians, I pray for conviction, just as if you impress it upon me and burden me. And there should be a great concern that people are dying all around us. And could we not give out a track a day? Could we not make a goal of trying to win one person this year? God, I pray that conviction doesn't make us hard, but it makes us softer. We would, we would do your will a whole year of preaching on the power of God, mighty to save. It would be a shame to wind up 2017 and not have done a thing to make that a reality in someone else's life. So God, thank you for what you can do, what you will do, and you use vessels like us. It's not the wisdom of the world. You use the foolish things, and I don't mind being a fool for Christ, and I imagine there's many out there that are just fools for Christ. So, Lord, I just pray that you bless our invitation. And thank you, Lord, for the truth that we heard today. In Jesus' name, amen.